Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Cassie Niem, who's a chief resident at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York. Cassie is originally from Alameda, California. She completed college at Dartmouth and medical school at the University of Michigan. She's interested in aesthetic surgery and breast reconstruction. Cassie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'd love to get started by hearing a big picture overview about your program. All right, so we are an integrated six-year program. We generally don't take a research year. That's not a requirement at all. We take two residents a year. And how much plastics exposure do you get across the first three years? More and more, we're getting more plastic exposure very early on in your years. And this has been a progressive change and really a change for the better for our program. So in the intern year, you get four months of plastic surgery. In the second year, you get three months of plastic surgery and two months of hand surgery, which is through the orthopedic department. And then in your third year, you do essentially all plastic surgery and plastics-related surgeries and no general surgery at all. So when we say plastics-related, this is really your year to explore Mohs surgery, private practice, OMFS, and ENT. So it's really a great year of doing all the things to prepare you to be a great plastic surgery resident. When you are on some of those non-plastic services, what's the experience like? The experience is really incredible. You're treated as one of their residents. You know, you're not just treated like an intern who does scut work. If they're doing a rhinoplasty, you're scrubbed in this rhinoplasty. You're doing with the attendings. And then later on, for example, I was a chief uh, doing an oculoplastics rotation. I actually got to walk their junior ophthalmology resident through cases. So it was kind of nice to be on the other side of it. And what are some of the different hospitals and sites you work at? So our main site is Strong Memorial Hospital. And then we have a sister hospital that's a smaller community hospital, Highland, that's about 10 minutes down the road. So we mainly operate out of those two places. We do have a lot of different opportunities to go to other sites. One of them is a uh, microsurgery rotation in Buffalo. So Buffalo is about an hour away from Rochester, if you're not familiar with the area. And while you're on that rotation, you usually have a choice to have an apartment or a hotel room there that the university pays for. So you're living at a hotel for a month doing something really neat. And then our children's hospitals affiliate with Strong and it's connected to our hospital. How much time overall do you spend at the, the microsurgery rotation in Buffalo? Just one month in our fifth year. And I think you mentioned you're all integrated, so no independent residents. Are there any fellows at the sites? No, there's no fellows. And that's actually something we really pride our program in. I mean, we certainly have the volume and the complexity to support fellows, but we've tried to keep it resident only so that as a resident, you're doing the complex cases, you know, and you're not fighting with anyone to take those cases. What is the research experience like? The research experience is really what you make of it. We don't have a formalized research year, but you are expected to do research throughout your six years of training. Starting your second year, you're expected to have completed a project at least one and presented at our end-of-the-year research meeting. 
And what kind of support is available either, you know, as you're preparing and working on your research or once you're ready to present it at different conferences? So support comes in two ways, I think. One form of support is obviously academic support and the other is financial. I'll talk about the financial piece first because it's a little more straightforward. So whenever you get a poster or a um, podium presentation accepted at a meeting, you're guaranteed funding to go to that meeting. So that's really nice. I think a lot of our residents have taken advantage of it, and you're guaranteed that for both plastic surgery and burn meetings. And burn meetings usually happen in exotic places like Hawaii or Vienna, you know, so residents really like doing those types of research. In terms of academic support, we do have a main clinical faculty that's 50% research and 50% clinical. So he helps spearhead all the projects and he does do bench work. The rest of our faculty is just clinical research, but pretty much all our faculty is very involved. And if you have a research idea, they will help you bring it to fruition. And how does your program manage graduated resident autonomy over the years? I think we're lucky enough that we're small enough that we develop a very strong, close relationship with our attendings. So they know what we're capable of and they will let us stretch our wings to the maximum, you know, to the point that's safe for the patient and safe for us, obviously. During our fifth and sixth year, I mean, we can double scrub cases with a more junior resident. And if it's a case that we could handle, the senior resident takes a junior resident through it and the attending can stay unscrubbed. And can you tell me a bit about call? Sure. Call is one of those complex nebulous things, but we switch facial trauma call with OMFS and ENT. So we take every third week at the main hospital and every second week at Highland, which are our sister affiliate hospital. And then hand call is sporadic throughout the month. Recently, for the last three years, just to minimize the call burden and being up all night, we have instituted a night float system. It's pretty similar to a general surgery night float system where six months of the year, the most heavy uh, trauma six months, which usually is during the summer months, there is a dedicated night resident that comes on at 5 p.m. and stays on until 5 a.m. So that resident takes all the calls throughout the night so that you can essentially go home and sleep. But we usually have a buddy call system. So there's one resident that's always paired with another. If it's junior residents, always paired with senior resident to run consults and help out in the OR as needed. When do residents start doing night float? So residents do night float their second to fourth year. The reason being as an intern, you're a little bit too green to do calls, especially by yourself in the middle of the night. And by your fifth and sixth year, I mean, you've pretty much maximized the learning you can get from call. So we like to do it in our mid-level years. Going forward with that, what is the mid-level support like more in terms of PAs and NPs at the sites? We have a dedicated NP for our service. So she really helps take care of all the floor work discharges, hold the pager so that when you're a junior resident on service and operating, you're not constantly bombarded with pages. So it's been an incredible change. That's someone who was hired during your tenure? She's been with us for about a year now, and that's directly based on resident feedback. The residents were saying that, I mean, it was getting overwhelming at times to be able to answer pages and consults while you're in the OR. So the attendings really took that to heart. 
made this change and it's been incredible for us. Is there any opportunity for elective rotations in the later years? There isn't a built-in elective per se. That being said, our program has been very accommodating with, with feedback. For example, my chief resident and I um, are both interested in aesthetic surgery, and that's going to be what we're going to pursue. So we talked to our program director and said that we wanted more of those rotations. So instantly, we got a few more private practice-based rotations. So I guess there's no real elective months, but if you said this is what you're interested in, suddenly it gets built into our schedule. And are there any opportunities for global, either short experiences or longer rotations? Yeah, so we're very lucky. We work with a really strong craniofacial surgeon who really believes in giving back to the community. So he does two trips to a year, one to Mexico and one to Guatemala. And so you're guaranteed one of those trips. There are 10-day trips where usually you go down there with him you do maybe 20 to 30 cleft lips and palates during that week. It's very high operative volume. And I think kind of speaking a little bit to that point, a lot of places ask, you know, what's the ethics of just going in and operate? And really for us, it's not just going in and operating. We're associated with medical centers in those areas to take care of these patients long-term. And we constantly get updates and progress reports with these patients. So it's not what you don't just drop and operate and leave without knowing our complications. And it's not built into our program, but I've had a unique opportunity during my second year to go to Vietnam for my crochet trip. I mean, I think it really just speaks to how supportive our program is. Even though it's not part of the curriculum, I said this is what I want to do, and the program made it happen. When do you get your cosmetic or aesthetic experience over the years? Over the years, it's a gradual buildup. Uh, so starting our third year, we spend a month rotating in a private practice cosmetic center, and it's the premier one in Rochester. It's, you know, anyone who's anyone goes there to get their cosmetic surgery. So we get that our third year. And then as we graduate in the, on the years, we do more and more of that. During our fifth and sixth year, we also get that experience. And then we have a chief surgery cosmetic clinic where we see all our own patients and book all our own patients, both surgical and non-surgical techniques. A lot of the uh, applicants actually asked about that. And unfortunately, given COVID and all the restrictions on operative time, we didn't have that experience this time, but it is still something that's very much strong in our program. When that is available, the Chief Cosmetic Clinic, is that something that you just participate in during certain months of your chief years, or is it kind of throughout as you're able to book patients? It's throughout the 12 months of our chief year, and you and your co-chief would split the time, so you have clinic every other week. What's your experience like with gender affirmation surgery? Our experience is very high volume with top surgery before COVID. I feel like I have to quantify everything before and after COVID, but before COVID, we were probably doing two to three top surgeries a week, both for male to female and female to male. And then bottom surgeries is the experience we get at Buffalo when we're rotating there. They were doing all the bottom surgeries there. 
That being said, one of our newest faculty, Dr. Manrique, who joins us from the Mayo Clinic, is very interested in bottom surgery, gender affirmation, so we'll probably start that program pretty soon. And are there any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Sure. I mean, I think the perks is always what really, you know, is kind of the icing on the cake with every program. So when you come as an intern, you're gifted loops, which is usually twelve to $1,500. Every year for Christmas, you get a $200 Christmas bonus for books or technology-related things. And you can apply this for your exams, for any other things. And I think one of the things that is really cool that we've been developing the last couple years, which really is finalized now, is our microsurgery course. So a lot of residents, microsurgery can take a course that's a week long or, you know, have simulations that are, again, you know, scattered throughout. But for us, we have a dedicated microsurgery course with one of our attendings. So every week during a two-month period, you practice microsurgery with him in a lab. So this really comes out to 40 hours of hands-on microtraining. So by the end, I mean, the first time you're under the scope is definitely not the first time you're under the scope. And at this point, he knows what your skill sets are. We also have two flat courses that we run internally. That's when we take a couple days off and do all the flaps we can think of on three or four cadavers. And then sprinkled up the year, we also have industry-sponsored cadaver labs. So usually we'll do all our facial trauma, all our hand trauma practice there. For that course that occurs over those two months, what year do you have that experience? It's usually in the third year. What area of plastic surgery would you say you have the strongest experience in upon graduation? That's a hard pick. I mean, I think that we're more and more, we're becoming a very well-rounded program. I think we are very strong in breast reconstruction, more implant-based, but we also do a lot of autologous breast reconstruction. We also do a lot of hand surgery. So, I mean, I think this is something we brag about a little bit, but by the time we graduate, we would have probably done a full year worth of hand surgery, and that's more than most orthopedic surgery residencies. And we also do a lot of aesthetic surgery more and more, especially with our private practice associates. And the great thing about the aesthetic, our aesthetics experience is it's all hands-on. It, none of it's observational. Usually by the time you're third year, when you go to private practice, you're doing your side of the case. And how would you improve your program? You know, that's a hard question, I think, because I think that all the changes that I wanted throughout the years, through my six years here, really we've seen already. And so I think that really speaks to how responsive our program is to resident feedback. So there's really nothing I can think of at this time to improve it. I mean, I think the best part of our program is really the residents. So improving our program would really just mean getting the same caliber of residents that we have. That's a shameless plug for anyone who wants to join our program because we think we have an awesome program and we're a family and we hope you consider joining our family. You did mention, you know, one of the changes was the hiring of an NP that was resident driven. 
Do you have any other examples of things you've seen, you know, over your six years that really speak to the willingness of the program to change and adapt? Absolutely. I think that hand was one of those. When I started, we had a more outpatient hand experience. So all the bread and butter hand experience, we got probably six months of that. But that really didn't cover the acute hand. So we spoke to our program director about that. And now it seems a complete 180 when we're taking so much hand call. We have a dedicated hand attending who is plastics trained. And then we're also very intimately involved with the orthopedic surgery department hand. So like I said, we probably do more hand than most ortho residents at this point. And now to transition a bit, I'd love to hear about your program leadership. So your chief and your PD. Our chief is Dr. Howard Langstein. He is uh, New York through and through. So he went to college in Cornell and then he's NYU trained. And so he brings all that big city experience, so to speak, into our small town. And he's been an incredible leader. He's been here since I started and well before I started my program. And then our program director is Dr. Clinton Morrison. He is probably one of the most well-loved attendings throughout the hospital. You know, everyone has such wonderful things to say about him. And he is also our cranial facial surgeon. I would love to hear about how the program has you know, helped guide you in terms of your future career plans and, and supported you in that regard? The great thing about our program is that we are so varied that there's not one tract and the program will support you whatever you want to do. I think that in some, you know, academic institutions, there may be a bias against aesthetic surgery or private practice, and that's not the case with ours at all. So. They've been supportive 100%. And like I said, when I said I wanted a more cosmetic surgery experience, the next time I got more my year, you know? And so I'm ending on a practice rotation, which is great, going to aesthetic fellowship. Was the leadership or the faculty particularly helpful in terms of, you know, helping figure out where to apply or anything in that regard? Where to apply is a little harder. It's mainly self-led just because aesthetics is usually not institution-based. So we have fewer connections with private practices around. But I think that they've been very supportive with letters of recommendations and everything along those lines. And overall, what kind of role do residents play in department decision-making? More so for things like choosing new residents or new faculty hires. We don't play a very strong role in new faculty hires. We certainly play a strong role in choosing the next generation of residents because we ultimately work so closely with them. So we just finished our interview cycle and both the chiefs and the fifth year residents interviewed and all our votes and all our vetoes get counted equally. You mentioned you're like a family, but I'd love to hear a bit more about the relationships amongst the residents. I couldn't ask for a better group of residents, and I say that with all honesty. These people, you end up spending more time with them than you end up spending with your own family, you know. My co-resident, he probably saw me more often than his own wife in the first couple of years, so you really become that close. 
we have a lot of resident outings outside of the, you know, the COVID era. We go on weekend trips together. We have parties together. We have dinners together. We spend the holidays together. So, I mean, I, I think that we're the closest you can imagine. And just outside of plastic surgery, we also have a really good relationship with the general surgery residents, which can make or break your first couple years in residency. What are the qualities of a resident who would fit well in your program? I think first and foremost, to be hardworking, to be willing, to be enthusiastic, and then just someone who wants to hang out with us. You know, we're such a tight knit group that I think that when you meet us, you can tell that right away. And hopefully you like it because <laughs> if not, it's going to be a really long six years. I mean, that being said, we're a very diverse group and we're lucky to have experiences from people all over the country kind of bring together. Somehow we just meld together and we get along great. But I think it's really the core values of working hard, looking out for each other, being supportive and being always willing to help. And now a little bit more about logistics of how residents live. So do most own or rent? So it's a really 50-50 mix of home ownership versus renting. The good thing about Rochester is because it's in New York State, uh, we get paid pretty much the same amount as New York City residents, but at a fraction of the cost for a living. So it's very affordable to buy your own house, even as a single resident. And a couple of our residents kind of fall under that umbrella. The university does give you a pretty much loan, but it becomes free money of $9,000 whenever you purchase a house. It's a loan that's forgiven within, I think, three years if you stay at that house. So, you know, free money is always a perk. We are very lucky that everything is drivable. You do need a car in Rochester because it's way too cold to walk, especially in the winter. But you probably can reach everything that's worth reaching in 10 minutes. What's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and or having kids? Again, 50-50. So we're lucky in that sense. You know, no one has to be the lone ranger. But usually, I mean, some residents come in with kids and some residents have families during their residency. We are now 50-50 female males, and there are female residents who build their family while in residency. So that used to be taboo or, you know, more difficult, but I think we're very open to that now. Do you know what the paternity and maternity benefits are like? So I think ASPS recently changed the rules saying that residents can go out for I, I honestly can't remember, but you'd have to correct me, but I believe it's a, a three-month maternity or paternity leave without needing to make up that time. So whatever the uh, rules are that apply to the Board of Plastic Surgery is what we honor. And what do you like about living in Rochester? I think it's just such easy living. You know, when I was in my 20s applying to residency, I didn't think that was important. I mean, I thought that, you know, I'm young, I can do anything. But I think when you're at your six-year residency, knowing that things are easy to get to is nice because residency is hard enough. You don't need want traffic. You don't want transportation and things along those lines to really interfere with the bigger things like patient care. 
What do you like to do in your free time? Rochester has beautiful hikes. So if you're an outdoor person, I mean, and when I think of Rochester, I think it's probably similar to Ithaca, which people might be uh, more familiar with. So just beautiful outdoors. You're 45 minutes from great ski slopes. You're 45 minutes from wine country. And the restaurant scene here is honestly really, really great, more than we deserve. Um, in the six years I've been here, there's been restaurants, really incredible restaurants popping all over the place. And I say that coming from California. So, I mean, I have a pretty high bar already. And you're five hours from New York City and you're three hours from Toronto if you just need to get away for the weekends very easy. And we have an airport that's seven minutes away from my apartment. So you can hop on a plane and be somewhere if you really need a big city change. Coming from California, how have you adjusted to the weather? I mean, I say I'm Californian, but honestly, I've been on the East Coast probably as long as I've been on the West Coast by this point. So interestingly enough, Rochester is probably one of the warmer places I've lived in the last decade. But if you have a sense of Rochester, it's really, it's a East Coast city, but with a very Midwest vibe. So I came from Ann Arbor to here, and this is probably more Midwest than Ann Arbor. So that means everyone's so nice, welcoming, open. And I, I honestly couldn't believe I was so lucky to end up here. Well, that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover today. Any final thoughts either on your program, you know, anything we missed, or on the overall process of choosing a residency? I think when it really comes down to it, Rochester is a smaller program but packs a really big punch. And one of the things that really amazed me when I interviewed here and then keeps coming up every time we have an interview session is how many leaders we've had train in our program. So, I mean, we have an incredible alumni network. Just recent people who have been all rock stars are Hani Spatani, who's now, who was at UCSF and is now um, in New York. Jeff Gusnoff, who's in Pittsburgh. Ida Fox, you know, kind of huge names out there. And then we've produced an incredible number of chairmen, including the current chairman of Mayo Clinic and Curtis Hand Center. So, I mean, I think when you think of Rochester, you could think of a tight-knit community. But with enough influence and enough operative volume, that will get you anywhere. I mean, our residents really land in the premier number one choice fellowships all over the country. And so that's something that I didn't really fully appreciate when I was applying to residency. But now I really appreciate. And what's the single best piece of advice you'd give to a prospective applicant? I would tell them to really take a look at the program, look beyond the name and the location and what you think is important and look at the people, you know, these are the people that you'll interact with for six years and you really have relationship for a lifetime. So really look if you can see yourself there. And how can interested students find out more about your program? Well, we have a very <laughs> robust um, Instagram page. So if any of the students want to shoot us a message through Instagram, I'm the one who manages that page. So I'll always answer probably within a minute, probably way too fast. It makes it a little creepy. Otherwise, you can always, our email addresses are on the website. So you can always email any of us. And a lot of the 
applicants already have reached out to us, and we're always happy to talk in through email or even through phone. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Cassie. Well, thank you. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.